Welcome to Beating Cancer Daily. Beating stage four cancer for 30 years still takes my breath away every time I say it. I'm Saren, founder of the Comedy Cures Foundation, and I hope you'll join me for just a few minutes daily for the next 365 days so we may laugh, learn, maybe cry a little as we live our best days beating cancer daily together. Today is a topic that I have been so excited to do because there is so much information about sugar and sugar substitutes, and it's overwhelming. And if anybody can demystify a topic, it is my friend and functional medicine expert, Jackie Bryan. If you haven't heard every single episode that Jackie has done on Beating Cancer Daily, you just have to go binge them. But today she is here and I can't wait to talk to you about this, Jackie. Thank you so much for joining us on Beating Cancer Daily. Oh, I am so excited to be here. And I'm just going to start off by saying, please don't shoot the messenger with this topic. <laughs> Wait, you can't shoot her because she's too much of an expert. She's an RN, a certified nutrition specialist, a whole health educator, a certified health coach. She's just so knowledgeable. That's what makes talking to Jackie so much fun. But she's also a multi-decade cancer survivor. So she feels our pain. She... <laughs> <laughs> she really understands the cancer universe and gives us such great advice. So Jackie, I am not somebody that likes sweet things. I don't like the taste of sugar, but boy, do I love dessert and chocolate. And I'm trying to be a detective. You tell me always to be a detective about what I'm eating. So help us know, can we have sugar? What kind of sugar? Oh, it's it's such a loaded question. It's such a big question. You know, the, in terms of in-depth discussion about your chocolate habit, we should have our audience listen to the chocolate podcast. I think they can learn a lot about different types of chocolate there. Today, I'm really just focused on the big question. Is sugar bad for you? You know, can it really have that kind of head-to-toe impact on the human body? And, you know, again, like I said, please don't shoot the messenger, <laughs> but yes, <laughs> yes, it can have a big impact on your body. In fact, in my field of functional medicine and functional nutrition, we call sugar an anti-nutrient. Do you know what an anti-nutrient is, Saren? It's so bad. It just sounds so nasty. I know. Well, think think about it for a second, right? So a nutrient is something that really nourishes our body and it brings something healthful to the way our body functions and performs. An anti-nutrient, not only does it not give us nutrition, it takes away. And so it means that it adds no health benefits. In fact, it can actually hurt the body by leaching vital nutrients from the body. So for example, 
if somebody is living with osteoporosis, which means their bones are getting brittle and they're not getting the calcium and other minerals in the bones, we know that sugar has been known to complicate that process, make it more difficult for calcium to get into the bones to make them stronger. So if somebody has osteoporosis, a high sugar diet is probably not the best for them. And that's just a a small example. I, I think if we were to to dive into the the health implications of sugar, the list would be very, very long. I am so blown away by what you just said because I was diagnosed with osteoporosis in my 20s, in my 20s, and it was just progressing and no one ever, ever made the connection between sugar and osteoporosis. So thank goodness I am on a very low sugar diet right now and we are managing my osteoporosis, but that is incredible. I'm also thinking back to the birthday before I was diagnosed with cancer. Jackie, I had cake I had birthday cakes morning, noon, and night because I love to celebrate my birthday, but I ate every single one. My appetite for sugar was ferocious. Like I could not get enough sugar. So I, I've read a lot and some people say that, oh no, you never want to have sugar when you're on when you've been diagnosed with cancer because it helps it grow and and then i've heard people say there's no correlation can you break that down for us oh that's a that's a great question they you know i will say that so much of what is happening in our body will improve with good nutrition right so if we minimize processed foods we get a lot of that white sugar out uh, of our diet that so much of our health could improve. And so your question about, you know, somebody that's going through active treatment or even a cancer survivor like you and I are, is sugar good for us? Well, I, I think the blanket statement I have is sugar is really not good for anyone. <laughs> and if you're already somebody that has a, you know, a, a diagnosis of cancer, it's definitely something that you should be paying attention to. Now, I'm not going to say that you absolutely have to quit all sugar. That's not, that's not what I'm saying, but there are ways to consume sugar in a smart way so that it doesn't have the same impact on your body. And, and that's something that we can dive into a little bit here today. If, if you think that would be helpful. Yeah, I know that I do crave something sweet here and there. I'm trying to eat much more fruit. So I'd love to be a smart consumer of not necessarily sugar, but even what would be a healthy sugar substitute. So just, yeah, please talk to me. Okay, so let's let's kind of back up for a second just to, to talk about the sugar and then we can kind of get into recommendations for that. If we... One of the things, the problems with sugar is that it's been known to crowd out good food, right? So what's happening in our, our country is so many people are sort of getting hooked on sugar, right? And it, it goes back to your cake story, breakfast, lunch, and dinner cake for your birthday, right? And it's hard to stop, right? And some people sit back and they're like, why is it so hard for me to stop 
sugar. And, and in some ways we feel out of control with sugar and almost like the cookie has control over me, right? Or I have clients that say to me, oh my gosh, the cake is talking to me from the kitchen. That would be me, definitely. Not talking, like singing, it's singing. But wait, Jackie, it it is like withdrawal because when I cut out sugar, it, it I've never done cocaine, but friends that have done cocaine have said <laughs> that getting off sugar is similar to getting off cocaine. Well, it's interesting because they're not wrong, right? So, so we actually crave sugar to boost important brain chemicals like beta endorphins, dopamine, serotonin, and you probably have heard of these. These are the ones that are your feel-good hormones. They make you feel euphoric, motivated, inspired, you know, relaxed. Uh, and so when we crave sugar, sometimes we're just craving a boost in those brain chemicals. And it's one of the reasons that people get somewhat addicted to sugar because they're addicted to the feelings that these brain chemicals give them. When you eat sugar, it temporarily rises or raises these hormones, these these neurochemicals, and it makes you feel good. And unfortunately, it's sort of a cascade of events that you don't want to stay on that path because it's just not healthy for your for your body. There are natural ways that you can boost some of those brain chemicals without having to consume the white stuff. But we are a we're an instant gratification society. We want the hit right away. So we grab the cake, we grab the cookies. And what ends up happening is we spike our blood sugar. We, we spike it high and then we go low. And we're we're on this roller coaster ride. And those highs and those lows are setting us up for mood fluctuations, you know, emotional crashes in terms of, you know, just feeling fatigued and lethargic and sad. And so it's no wonder that we're looking for the next hit around the corner, right? Oh, I want to get some, a little more sugar so that I can feel good again. And we spend our days on the highs and the lows. And I can give you just a little strategy that can help you with balancing blood sugar. Are you interested in that? I would love to know. <laughs> well, you can actually combine certain foods to help eliminate some of the spikes. And so you can combine a fat, a fiber, and a protein together to offset some of those blood sugar spikes. So an example would be a small handful of nuts with your dark chocolate right? The nuts have fat, fiber, and protein in it, and they slow the absorption of the sugar in your system. If you just have the cake by itself, you're going to spike. If you have the cake after you eat a meal, you're probably not going to spike quite as much. You still will spike, but not quite as high. And I think one of the biggest issues with the sugar, and and I, you know, this is why I started off by saying, please don't shoot the messengers, because I am not saying don't ever have sugar again, because I think that's going to just basically bring out the rebel in everybody, <laughs> you know, and they're going to be like, I'm going to go get some sugar just to spike Jackie. Mm -hmm. But what I want to say is that, you know, there's plenty of warnings out there about the health issues of sugar. I yeah, I can't imagine running into anybody right now. If I said, is sugar good for you? I, I'm imagining that they would say no. You know, according to the American Heart Association and the American Dietetic Association, a person should have no more than six teaspoons 
of added sugar a day for women. And that's about 24 grams or hundred calories. And for men, it's nine teaspoons, 36 grams or 150 calories for men. That is so much sugar. I mean, I'm just thinking about it. But you're saying it's so much sugar, but the average American consumes, I feel like making a drum roll, but I think you guess. What is the average amount of sugar in teaspoons that an American consumes each day? Ugh, I'm just getting like nauseated thinking about it. 15? 22 teaspoons a day. Oh my the dear. average American. Now, I'm going to, I know we, we, you and I are, are pretty informed on this topic, but there's a lot of people that aren't and they don't realize that sugar is being slipped into their salad dressings, into their barbecue sauce. Sugar is put in some sushi rice. Sugar is, I mean, it's hidden in places. And part of it is it enhances flavor and it gets us going with those brain chemicals that we talked about. I want to understand what should our blood sugar be at? Because we're talking about spikes, but let's just really talk about range of blood sugar. Say when we wake up, uh, maybe after we eat a meal, like how does it fluctuate in the day? Well, that's going to vary depending upon the person and your blood sugar is changing all the time right? So when you wake up in the morning, it's going to be low. After a meal, it's going to be, you know, elevated, it's going to go up. But the but the goal is for you to be able to recover. And that basically means your pancreas will secrete the insulin that it needs to accommodate the, the rise in the blood sugar to help get it into the cells to give you the energy it needs. So that number is going to vary. If, if somebody does a fasting blood sugar, and you know, the doctor's looking for any signs of prediabetes or diabetes, you know, they want to see that number usually under a hundred, you know, a functional range is in the eighties to to low nineties. But again, that's going to vary depending upon the person's lifestyle, their activity level, you know, all of those things will, will play a role. I was actually diagnosed with hypoglycemia, low blood sugar, my whole life. And even Mm -hmm. in pregnancy, when blood sugars tend to rise, mine stayed so low to the point where I was having seizures, believe it or not. So I've wow. been very aware of my blood sugar my whole life because the crash from extremely low blood sugar is is dangerous, you know, as much as high blood sugar, but diabetes and high blood sugar gets so much more attention than low blood sugar. Just listening to you and talking about how our goal should really be more stable blood sugar, you know, keeping those swings as, as non-dramatic as possible, that that's a whole new level of focus on our wellness. It is. And I think blood sugar stability is one of the most important things a person can do for their body. And, and partly because everybody's coming from their own unique health experience, right? So in your situation, you you gravitate towards hypoglycemic and other people would gravitate towards hyperglycemic. And depending upon what's happening inside your body, that would make a big difference. I mean, 
we just talked about the average American consuming 22 teaspoons a day of added sugar, and that's a lot of sugar. But I will say that back in 2018, the labeling, the nutrition labeling has actually changed. And I'm hoping some of our listeners ha- have seen that. And and the, the labeling changed to actually show added sugars. And, and what is complicated, though, is that the American Heart Association, the American Dietetic Association is saying, okay, six teaspoons for women, nine teaspoons for men, but the label's saying grams. How do we figure that out? And so I actually have a little formula for you so that the next time you're looking at your label, this can help you, right? So if you are looking at your label and you see added sugars and it says four grams of added sugar, that is equal to one teaspoon. So four grams is equal to one teaspoon of added sugar. So if the goal is to stay six grams and under, if you're a woman, nine grams and under, if you're nine teaspoons and under, if you're a man, then you're going to want to understand that formula. And it's, it's, I think it's just really helpful that it just gives some people a guideline so that are going to consume some sugar. They have a good understanding of where it's actually coming from. But underneath that, it says something like alcohol sugars. Alcohol sugars. We're, when we talk about added sugars, we're just focusing on that right now. Alcohol sugars get processed a little differently in the body. And that's we probably shouldn't get into that topic today. That's just another type of topic. But in terms of just added sugars and the the focus on sugars, just understanding that under that little line that says added sugars, four grams is one teaspoon. And that for women, we don't want to have more than 24 grams because that's six. And for men, no more than 36 grams. And that is going to be nine teaspoons for men. You know, if we, I'm hoping the compelling reason for people to, pay attention to this is sugar is not just about diabetes. It's not just about cancer. It's weight gain, you know, coronary artery disease. It's implicated in high blood pressure, high cholesterol, high triglycerides, depression. I mean, this is, these these are, these are huge things that impact our life. It even, it causes acne, rosacea, uh, you know, and, and it can cause non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, kidney issues. I mean, there's a whole host of health problems that are associated with sugar, largely because consumption of sugar, you know, larger amounts of sugar over that six teaspoons is connected to inflammation. And inflammation is something obviously that that we've talked a lot about, but it's something that I focus on a lot in my practice is, you know, if we want to tame that flame of inflammation, we need to back off on some of the white stuff, the sugar white stuff. Well, I'm thinking about natural sugars And I see apple juice in a lot of things. So are they counting that in the sugar count or that doesn't get counted? And that's a really good question. So it depends on how they're putting the apple juice in there, right? The added sugar typically means the the white sugars that you're seeing in there. But there are some products that will count the depending if the apple juice is sweetened, right? So it just, there's a lot of things to take into consideration. And I think to simplify things for our listeners, it's just understanding at least that formula, getting that, getting that 
straight in their brain that four grams of added sugar is equal to one teaspoon. We want to have less than six for women, less than nine for men. I think the other thing, in addition, we don't always want to be hung up on the numbers, but I I would love people to be really great detectives when it comes to looking at nutrition labels and really one, I mean, I don't buy a product at the store without looking at a nutrition label. And truthfully, if I cannot pronounce it, I don't eat it. <laughs> you know, I just, I don't, I don't put it in my body. Um, I, I have a general rule of thumb, you know, we just talked about the hidden sugars, right? So, so there is a general rule of thumb that people can use that if they look at a nutrition label and they see OSE, O-S-E at the end of a name, they can be pretty sure that that's a sugar, right? So let's let's name a few. Dextrose, fructose, glucose, maltose, lactose, os, os, os. That means that it's a type of sugar. We don't want to be fooled by the natural sounding names either. You know, the, the things like cane juice, beet sugar, fruit juice, rice syrup, molasses, you know, a lot of these are different sugars that are going to end up on the list. And so you want to make sure that you are reading the, the labels. And then you might see ones that you don't even recognize, like maltodextrin or mannitol, sorbitol, you know, corn syrup. One of the ones that I just, if you ever see this on a label, I like to see people run the other way, high fructose corn syrup, right? These are ones that are pretty tough on the body and and probably there's a, a better alternative for it than than those types of options. I am so blown away by the fact that all of those things are in so much of the food that we buy at the store and I never knew what they were, all the O's words. Yeah, I mean, I think people just need to be informed. It's it's really interesting because so many of us want to believe that the manufacturers maybe have our best interests at heart. And, you know, I believe in, in the greater good and I believe, I believe that, you know, people are are trying to do the best things for themselves, but we get fooled easily by packaging. And this is why I really want people to, you know, when you see something that says natural or it's healthy, um, the determination of health would be reading that nutrition label, really understanding what is, is in the product. You know, there are sweeteners that you can find in certain products. And, and in the United States, the FDA allows any food or beverage that has less than five calories per serving to be labeled as calorie free or zero calorie. Um, and, and there are ones that, that like aspartame and things like that, that aren't healthy, that are, that are really problematic for the body. But then there are other zero calorie sweeteners, maybe like monk fruit or organic stevia sweeteners that can fall into this category. And, you know, those are those are ones that can be somewhat helpful. And we could talk about different sweeteners now if you're if you'd like, Saren. I do, because my brain thinks comedically. So when I hear the word monk fruit, it just creates an image of a little bald monk, you know, hanging from a tree. I don't know what is monk fruit. <laughs> oh, it's a good question. So, so monk fruit is actually a fruit that has a lot of antioxidants in it. It's it's got a lot. It's 
about 300 to 400 times sweeter than sugar, but it has no calories and no real effect on blood sugar. So it's a pretty good option for people with diabetes. You know, it's not always seen in a lot of products, but there are some that you can get them in, but monk fruit can actually help with fighting free radicals, lowering the risk of obesity. It can be anti-inflammatory. There's lots of good benefits. I actually like monk fruit. It's one of my, one of my favorites. Another one we hear a lot about, and I think you were asking me about this one, agave. Mm-hmm. Wait, I still, I'm still a little obsessed with monk fruit. First of all, I want to know how it got its name. And where it comes from, I'm going to do such a deep dive after this podcast because I can't get this image out of my head. Why is it called monk fruit? I'm so excited to it's, go find I, it. I'm not, I, you know, I don't know why they call it monk fruit, but that's what it's called. It's a monk fruit. And the, the antioxidants that are in it are called mogrosides. That sounds less, you know sexy than monk fruit, I think, but, but it's, uh, but there are some health benefits from, from this particular fruit and it's metabolized differently in the body than, than actually the natural sugars. Uh, so I think, I think it's something that people could consider, you know, as a really good alternative for some of the sugars in there, but again, or in the products that they like to use the, the agave sugar that we were just talking about a second ago, is really a type of of syrup. You hear it called agave nectar. And you know, that just sounds healthy, doesn't it? When I say, ooh, agave nectar, it just sounds good. I always think of it from the word agape. I think agape means love. So I, I for the longest time I thought it was like love nectar. Yeah. <laughs> then I realized it's agave. It's also a connection with tequila and agave, but you know, we're not going to go down that route right now, (laughs) but agave is actually a type of syrup that they make from the agave plant that's mainly produced in Mexico. And it's marketed. The way it's marketed is, is that it's a better alternative to refined sugar because it has mostly fructose in it. And fructose does not increase short-term blood sugar levels to the same extent as glucose. And just for a quick biology lesson, glucose actually is broken down differently than fructose. Uh, Glucose goes directly into the bloodstream and spikes the sugar, which is why they were saying agave may be better for that. But I'm going to dispel that myth in just a second. So don't think I'm saying agave is the the best choice. Um, But the fructose that's in agave actually gets processed in the liver. Now, Fructose is not a problem when it comes to what we eat in in fruit, like an apple, but it is a problem when it's in high fructose corn syrup, like we were talking about before, or even some of the fructose that is in agave, right? So agave syrup is high in sugar, high in carbs, and high in calories, and it's very high in fructose. And that fructose, that particular type of fructose, not the one from apples, but this type of fructose has a number of negative health issues with it, including insulin resistance, fatty liver disease, metabolic syndrome. So I'm suggesting maybe limited use of agave nectar and maybe try some other natural sweeteners. You could try something like stevia, but again, there's better versions of these, you know, you, you'll go to the store and you might see three different options and you might be sort of 
you know, perplexed, which one do I try? And, and so stevia is a no calorie substitute. It's derived from this stevia plant, which is from native to South America. And there is some research that it can help lower cholesterol, help with metabolic health and all of those things. Um, but not all stevia sweeteners are created equal. As I mentioned, some are really highly processed or bleached. So you want to make sure that you're getting the right type. And so if you do opt for stevia, I would go for the organic green leaf stevia, if possible, that you can get them in drops and health food stores, and you can use them in many different settings in place of, of some of the, the white sugar that you might use. I just think we all need to have fruit. And I think we all just need to make smoothies. If you haven't heard the episode that we did on smoothies, Jackie really helps us make healthy smoothies. So I, I'm craving fruit right now after this discussion. <laughs> Sugar is just too, it's too complicated. It's too overwhelming. I just want to go have some blueberries right now. Well, you know, it's funny you said that because, well, I, I agree with you, right? I, I'm much more of a fruit person than I would be a, a sugar. Once you get off sugar, when you go back, if you're off sugar for like three weeks, maybe a month, and you go back to have something sweet, it doesn't taste as good. It has a, it, it almost tastes too sweet, you know? So I think it's something that, that people, you know, it's an experiment, you know, give it, give it a try and do a little elimination diet of sugar and see how you feel. Those first two weeks are brutal. Like, yes. honestly, yeah. I just remember them. They were brutal. And you just start dreaming about dessert. You It talks to you, you walk past a bakery, you watch people at dinner. I mean, I come from a massive dessert family. We were allowed to have dessert first. But, you know, Saren, I love that you said this because you dreamt about it. You t you thought about it. And the reason you're doing that is the physiological change in your body when you stop sugar. It's not so many people think it's about willpower. And and it is. I mean, in many ways, we have to say, no, I'm not going to have it. But it, but having the understanding that there's physically something changing in you when you are consuming sugar, you know, it, that alone made me want to get off the sugar bandwagon because it made me mad that I was hooked on something. I'd much rather be hooked on an apple than I am <laughs> something, something else. Here's a trick that I did. I would eat a piece of fruit and then I would take some dessert. So as I started to substitute and have the fruit first, it cut out some of the craving and I needed less dessert. And then eventually it just weaned down to just having fruit. And then when I do have the dessert, it's like a much more healthier dessert and very consciously made dessert, not just with white processed sugar. But that really, really helped me taking the hit of fruit first and then having the actual sweet dessert. Well, you did one of my very favorite approaches, which is the crowd out approach. You crowd out the the, the bad stuff with with the healthy stuff, right? So you 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 only have so much room in there <laughs> to put food, right? So if you're putting more of the good stuff in there and flooding your body with the good stuff, there is room for a little bit of the of the treat, but maybe not the whole thing. 
No, I think that I think that that's a, a really important thing to think about when we're trying to make a change, especially when we're trying to get the the sugar out. I I did want to just touch on since I I covered the stevia, the the monk fruit, and the agave. I just wanted to touch on two other ones really quickly. One is honey, and you know we've honey's been around forever. Our wonderful bees, but you know, raw honey is the most crude and natural form of honey that you can purchase. And it's unfiltered, unpasteurized. There's no processing. It is going to spike your sugar, right? So it will spike your sugar. However, you will get some health benefits from it because it hasn't been messed with by humans, right? It's not been processed and it's it's going to have some of the natural and vitamin minerals. So if you do decide to use honey, whether it be in a recipe or to help with a cough or something like that, you know, that's, that's fine, right? I would just do the, the fiber protein combo that, that I was talking about to help reduce blood sugar spikes. And then the other one that I hear a lot about, and I actually use this myself is coconut sugar. Have you used coconut sugar before, Saren? I've used the shreds, not actually the powdered sugar. Okay. Yeah. And coconut sugar or nectar is, is from coconut, right? And it can be made into to granules. It, it is a little healthier maybe than sugar, but not much. It's still going to spike your sugar. It contains a few more nutrients. It can be a good alternative. You know, like when, if I make, if I bake a, a good or an item for my family, this might be the one that I would use. But again, keep in mind that it's still does spike the sugar. So your sugar. So it's important to, to be mindful of, of all of those things. But I think it's, I think it's healthy for us to understand what we're putting in our body. So reading the label, you know, the, the high fructose corn syrup, the, the regular white sugar, if you're going to bring those into your life, make sure that you're combining those fat fiber and proteins. Those are, are really important. I, I also think you know, we don't want to fool ourselves into thinking that sugar is healthy. You know, I, I laugh because I, you know, when people say to me, you know, they're walking by the cinnamon bun store and they're like, I have to have a cinnamon bun. I'm so hungry, right? Well, if people are so hungry that, you know, maybe an apple would <laughs> fill the hole rather than the, the actual cinnamon bun. And we have to just be patient with our body as we make some of these changes. It's not easy to make a change when it comes to the reduction in sugar in our diet, for sure. What about brown sugar? Does that get the same bad rap as white sugar? It does. Yeah, it does because it's just, it's just brown. <laughs> it's not any, it's not any different than the, <laughs> than the white sugar. It's gonna, it's gonna spike the sugar. I mean, you know, I, I guess I, I get excited to talk about this topic, but I also, you know, I really want to empower people to find the best solutions. You know, I, I want them to understand that sugar affects every aspect of their body. There's really no organ that's left unscathed by sugar. I know that sounded pretty dramatic. What about maple syrup? It's still going to have, now, again, if you, if you get it, you know, right out of the tree, it's going to be very, you know, a little more healthful than maybe the, you know, one that you get in the grocery store all bottled up and pasteurized, but it's still going to spike your sugar. And I, I will make a comment for, for those people that are in active treatment or immunocompromised, any of these foods that are unpasteurized, that are, are raw or unpasteurized, have the potential to have some bacteria in it that could be 
unhealthy for somebody that is compromised with their immune system. So that's a really important thing. I know that when I was going through chemo, they didn't want me having raw honey. They did not want me having, you know, soft cheeses and things like that, that were fermented. So I think people really need to understand, read those labels and find out if something's raw. If you know you're immunocompromised, make sure you check with your doctor before you're eating any of those foods that are sort of in that category. The other piece, and I know I'm kind of I'm sort of wrapping it up a little bit, but I want to make sure people understand that I'm not saying never have sugar, but if you do have sugar, you know, be smart about it. We don't want those spikes like we were talking about earlier and, and food combining can really, really help. And I think if I had to pick maybe my two favorite sweeteners of the list that we talked about today, I think I would pick that organic stevia and monk fruit. Those would be my two that would have the least impact on my blood sugar and would probably be healthiest for my body. So I remember having so many PET scans when I was diagnosed with cancer and then the stage four diagnosis, they were really tracking me and they were using sugar at uptake to know where my cancer was. So how does that not correspond to sugar and cancer? Right. And and that makes it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, when you think about it, right, the, the sugar that they're putting in you to detect any activity in your body for cancer, right? Because the cancer is like lighting up on the screen because it's it's responding to the sugar. What I will say in as a blanket statement is that sugar is not healthy. <laughs> it's it's an inflammatory product. It's not it's not healthy for someone with cancer. It's not healthy for somebody without cancer. And we need to find a way to reel it back in a little bit in in the way that that we can consume it in moderation. Uh, low moderation, if possible, or we can just find better substitutes. So. In answer to your question, and I think what you're asking me is really, you know, if you have cancer, should you avoid sugar? You know, I think I'm not labeling just cancer patients. I'm basically suggesting that everybody really put a cap on their sugar intake and be smart about it, right? Find better solutions for yourself so that you're not, you know, staring down at a chronic condition in your future or, you know, if you, if you've got a chronic condition, then let's manage the symptoms better. And we can do that by getting some of the, the white sugar out of the diet for sure. So would knowing the glycemic index of foods be helpful? And what is a glycemic index and how do we do it? Well, there's glycemic index and there's glycemic load. And so glycemic index is pretty much the sugar that's in the food that that is outside of your body, right? So, you know, you you look at an apple and what the sugar is inside that apple. And then, you know, banana, what's inside that banana, like what, what the sugar content is. And so low glycemic index would be choosing some of those foods that have the least amount of sugar in it. You know, a, a banana compared to kale, a banana would have a higher glycemic index and kale would have a, a lower glycemic index. But the interesting thing is glycemic load is how does that particular food behave in your body? And that's very different than index. So I'm usually more interested in the glycemic load. When you eat an apple, it has a 
certain response in your body. It has fiber and it gets broken down. So outside of your body, the apple has a certain amount of sugar, but when it goes inside your body, it is absorbed in a different way and it may not reflect a huge spike in your sugar that they that they would Think. So glycemic load to me is more interesting. It's more understanding what it's going to do in your unique situation. And so I hope that makes sense. It's kind that's kind of a long topic to get into, but I would I would worry uh, if you're not a diabetic, I would worry less about the glycemic index and more about the quality of what you're putting in your body. I would think more about making sure you're not getting the processed sugar in your body. The apple, the banana, all that stuff is fine as long as you don't have an underlying condition where you need to watch those things. That's so interesting because my husband and I can each have a bowl of oatmeal at the same time. And then if we take our blood sugar, we react so differently to oatmeal. And most people say, yes, you should have oatmeal because it helps control your blood sugar. It's so good for you. It's the exact opposite for him. So I've actually seen that manifest in, in our real home. So that's really interesting. I just heard the, the words glycemic index thrown around a lot, have low glycemic index. So the fact that you just introduced the whole concept of load makes so much sense now. I think, I think it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting topic. It's, it is valuable information for certain populations, for sure, especially people that are trying to reduce their, you know, sugar intake overall, right? Because there's sugars in other types of foods, you know, for what we're talking about today, we're really focused on the quality of the, the sugar that's actually coming into our body, the white stuff. And that that is a topic. Blood sugar balance is a topic for another time that, that we could certainly dive into for sure. I have a joke for you because you know that I always have to. <laughs> oh, I always have to have a joke for Jackie because she teaches us so much, and I just want to always give her a laugh. So here goes: I can eat sugar with my right or my left hand. I'm ambidextrous. <laughs> There's that os. There's the os. <laughs> if your dog barked when jackie was talking about os and dextrose you have to go hear it so you understand that joke (laughs) (laughs) jackie i want you to restate one more time just in case people were driving or they were walking very few people listen to a podcast with a pen and paper can you restate just one more time i know you've stated it a few times the gram sugar trick that you taught us? Absolutely. When you're looking at a nutrition label, you want to be sure to look under added sugar. And there's a formula that you can use. So four grams of added sugar is equal to one teaspoon of sugar. So four grams of added sugar is one teaspoon. So for women, you don't want to have any more than 24 grams of added sugar, which is equal to six teaspoon. And for men, you don't want to have any more than 36 grams of sugar, which is equal to nine teaspoons. That's so powerful. I'm going to actually write that down and post it in my kitchen because I, I just think it's really cool. I always get cocktail party quotes from you every time. (laughs) 
I can just go spout this out. And I sound so knowledgeable at any cocktail party. I'm going to leave you with a very silly joke, just in case you have a child. You know, I love silly humor. Jackie, I want to thank you so much for coming and enlightening us. I can't wait to go eat some fruit when we get off this podcast. (laughs) I don't even have sugar, sugar, like white sugar, brown sugar in my house. I don't even physically have it. That's how much I've departed from it. And if baking, just use real fruit if I can. So here's the silly joke. Why did the little girl put sugar under her pillow before she went to sleep? I don't know. Why did she put sugar under her pillow? Because she wanted to have sweet dreams. Oh, that's cute. I like that. That's sweet. (laughs) It's sweet. so (laughs) (laughs) So if you'd like to know more about Jackie and all the wonders she brings to the wellness field, you can go to JackieBryan.com. If you just want her whole signature, go to ComedyCures.org and we will send it to you because Jackie has a very interesting spelling to her name. Jackie, I can't wait for everyone to join us on Health Builders. Every month, Jackie does these incredible live seminars once a month about different parts of the body, different elements of nutrition, and you can sign up for that at comedycures.org. If you want to give us some feedback or give us ideas for episodes that you'd love to hear, you can record a message to us at comedycures.org or hit the contact button and write to us. We love your feedback. Jackie, love you, girl. Oh, you're the best. Thank you so much for having me. Have a blessed day and I will see you tomorrow. You know, everybody always asks, what would be a great gift to give somebody newly diagnosed with cancer or re-diagnosed with cancer or just going through cancer for a really long time? And that's one of the reasons why I created the Beating Cancer Daily Membership Circle so that I would have a gift to give every time I find out that someone's been diagnosed. So if you haven't already joined for yourself, please go to comedycures.org and check out the Beating Cancer Daily Membership Circle Levels. And if you need a great gift, what an unbelievable opportunity. It starts for as little as $5 per month. The levels change and go up from there. You can even buy a mega gift for somebody and all of these levels support not only making this podcast but support the membership circle opportunities which include so many resources including live virtual Q&A sessions live comedy cures comedy events live health builder workshops with Jackie Bryan RN and myself a robust monthly newsletter plus much more. So if you do want to give yourself a gift or you want to share that with someone you love, please go to comedycures.org and explore the membership levels. Thanks so much. See you tomorrow. Guess what time it is. It's time for me to read the disclaimer. 
Beating Cancer Daily and the Membership Circle are not in lieu of medical advice or treatment. They are for entertainment purposes only. Please consult your healthcare team to review your best strategy. Thanks for listening.